Good evening, everybody. We are here a little late, a little delayed because of some logistics. We had a pastor's conference this morning, and we are back here for the Q&A. And we just thank you for the questions. And now as we go to the session, once again, we thank God. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for keeping us through this week. We have come to the end of the week, Lord, and we just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you. Your word truly says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We thank you, Lord. In this life alone, we can praise you by faith. After that, we will see you face to face. So every hour, every moment, we just want to thank you. Thank you for everything, this place, this opportunity we have to answer questions and answers. This freedom most of the world does not have, Lord. Yes. We take it for granted. Even in this country, most of the places, one does not have this kind of freedom. In many nations, that freedom has been taken away and is being taken away. So we don't want to take anything for granted, Lord. We just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Give us a wisdom, the discernment to answer. Comfort your people. Strengthen your people. Encourage your people, Lord. That we stand firm and endure till the very end. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Shall we start with? Yes. First of all, start with question number 12. Um, this is from down under. Um, in the church, months ago, we were encouraged to read books about how to talk about Jesus in a skeptical world by Sam Chan. I googled it and I got confused. Once I was gifted a book, once I was gifted a book called Need to Know by Dear Carson. I read a few pages. I did not understand. Do I need these books, Pastor, to speak about Jesus and know about Christian life? Can you advise? See, books do, <coughs> books do help. Okay, books do help. But primarily, uh, I think it's Solomon who said in multitude of books, uh, in Ecclesiastes, yes, right? yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and we, we, we know it because we have a multitude of books here. And there is weariness. But also we need to understand, uh, there is a place for books. Okay, there is a place for book and there is a place for only the Bible. The Word of God. Okay. And, uh, when we were in college, uh, especially I remember during my PG, our props used to, and one of them just passed away today. He was just a couple of years older than me. He was the youngest lecturer, Abraham Joseph, passed away from a heart attack, shocked. I mean, just a couple of days couple of years probably older than me. And uh, they used to tell us, know your text well. Mm. Know your text well. You see, there are lots of books about a book. Like we were being primarily talked about Shakespeare. I think post uh, the Bible, the most books written about another author probably could be Shakespeare. So they would say, know your text well. Then only read the others. Okay, know your text well. And I would say first, there's nothing wrong in reading books, but first read your Bible. That's your text. Basic text is what is important. Two, uh, allow the Spirit of God to lead you. Okay? We have been given a personal guide and a teacher. Personal guide and a teacher. And you don't have to read and struggle on your own. You have the anointing in the church, where the church teaches, but also God promises to teach you, teach you, not to preach, but to teach you. 
Because though we have the same text, our problems and our issues are not the same. Even if it outwardly looks the same, inwardly it may not look the same. So we need a personal guide. Okay, personal guide. And God has given us a personal guide. So these are the first two. First is the word of God. Because he has magnified his word about everything and scripture cannot be broken too. He has given us the spirit of God and the word of God says he shall guide you into all things. Okay, And you have to personally ask him. Don't take it for granted. A lot of people take it for granted that even if I don't want to ask when I read the Bible, the Holy Spirit will automatically know you have to ask him. If morning by morning he awakened him, Isaiah 54 talks about, okay, meaning the spirit of God woke up Jesus and he taught him. And he's the one who ultimately gave him that instructor tongue. You cannot have an instructor or disciplined tongue unless you have a disciplined mind. Okay, so the Holy Spirit personally taught him. That does not mean he was not taught by the others. Uh, for every Hebrew kid, J- Jewish kid, synagogue and learning the Torah, Talmud by, by heart is compulsory. And they go to the synagogue, they are taught, the rabbis teach them. And we see him at the age of 12 listening and asking questions. So Jesus was a fantastic learner, oh. okay, from the primary text. So there are texts and there are books. But remember, books is much more uh, later invention, let me put it that way. Earlier there were books, but nobody had access to books because there, there was no printing, there was no paper, so books were in there for almost 5,700 years of human history. Books was not access. Even the Bible itself people did not have. So what was important was hearing was very, very important. That when you went to church or you went to synagogue, you better listen carefully because you don't have a text. You don't have a text. Okay, you hear carefully. So there is the word of God and then there are other people. And also what happens is when we start relying more on everything else other than the text, that is the word of God and the spirit of God, you know what? The spirit of God slowly starts withdrawing. He starts withdrawing. I'm honestly telling you the truth. He starts withdrawing. And you know what happens? Here, if you look at this question, in the church months ago, we were engaged to read books about how to talk about Jesus in a skeptical world by self. Okay? It is not a bad thing in itself, but the whole problem is, you know what, basically it's saying that you don't even know how to evangelize. When Jesus finished speaking to the Samaritan woman, she straight away went to the city. I have seen young, new believers who saved, zealous for the Lord. You don't have to teach them to evangelize. They evangelize very well. Out of, out of their sheer love and joy and zeal. They don't Google and go out and evangelize. Okay? You look at the people who evangelized in the Bible. I mean, initially, when an encounter with Jesus, you have uh, this woman, Samaritan woman, in, 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 having an encounter with Jesus, and then she goes and evangelizes the whole city. You have the demon-possessed man at gatherings. Once he is delivered and Jesus sends him back, you see how he went and evangelized. You will always see when people had an encounter with Jesus, sometimes Jesus had to tell them, keep quiet. We're messing up my ministry because unnecessary crowds are coming who are not interested in the message probably and just for the miracles. But often people went and spoke. Okay, What is primarily evangelism? Primarily evangelism, I will tell you, the primary evangelism, the most powerful statement on evangelism is found in the book of John. Okay? It's in the book of John. 
and uh, I want you to turn to chapter 9. Okay. And verse 25. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. There's nothing more powerful than that. This is what is called evangelism to a skeptical world. The world is skeptical. You can tell, you know what, I was a sinner. I know I am forgiven. I know I have eternal life. I know I have no fear of death. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. There's no answer to that. There's no answer. You can believe whatever you want, but I know. I know. This is man's fear. Death. Hell. These are all. Once you, once you encounter somebody who does not fear, who does not fear death, and is actually the joy of the Lord is there, you know what? You cannot question this testimony. Look at the, uh, the place where it says, uh, the man in gatherings, in his right mind, sitting at Jesus. The Bible says when the people saw that they feared. Okay, they fear. Okay. Now this is this is what we call actual evangelism. You don't you don't need a class on evangelism. Apologetic apologetics is a different thing where you in a different context altogether with the intellectuals and all that. But um we preach Christ crucified. Yeah, exactly. Like we saw the entire morning service. Yeah. We preach Christ crucified. It is foolishness mm. to them who are perishing. Okay. So because we live in a world that is so busy and uh, I would honestly say if you look in the if you hear at least you read about you, you get every day a daily devotion about the underground churches. Nobody has to teach them. Nobody has to teach them how to evangelize. They don't Google a book how to because you look at him, you know he believes because if he doesn't, he wouldn't put his life on the line. It's as simple as that. People who are in the underground churches or who have come from another faith in almost any faith, when they become a believer in a, in a majority community when you come out and become a believer, they are risking their lives. Especially in communities which are very, very hostile. Okay, it's those who live in the twilight zone who have not faced it; they don't realize. The Bible says uh, many believed him in him, but they were not willing to confess him because they were scared of being put out from this man. Blind man's parents ref- themselves refused to publicly accept. Okay, so that is not a witness. That is not a testimony. That is not a testimony. So I would say is one. Allow yourself to be filled con- consciously and constantly by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God will always lift up Jesus. Okay. Second, um, in a secular kind of a setting in your workplace, let them see your life. See, there is a verbal witnessing and there is a witnessing of your life. Mm. Okay. Witnessing of your life. And the witnessing of your life is what you see in the book of Genesis. Potiphar knew Joseph's God was with him. He looked at him and realized the way he worked, the way he carried himself, everything, you know what. Everybody had their own gods, but they knew his God was different. Okay? Everybody has their own gods. 
But what makes your and my God different from the other gods is our life. When they look at our life and we, they see our passion, our integrity, our walk, and our willing to die for this cause. Die for this cause. See, the communist is willing to kill for his cause. Okay, he's willing to kill for his cause. The radical Muslim is willing to kill for his cause. In every religion, the radicals are willing to kill for their cause. But what makes Christianity is that we don't kill. We don't kill. We are willing to die for our cause. Okay, even the early church father, uh, Polycarp, when he was very old, 80s, when he was being uh, taken to be executed. I think he was burned at the stake. And they felt sorry, an old man. Okay, they said, you know, why don't you please deny him? No, why don't you? Why are you making us do it? Why don't you just deny Christ and you can love? And he said, 80 and 5 years, something like that, he said, is that he has never denied me. How can I deny him now? And he went singing into the flames. Okay, and the, the thing is that, when you see, when people saw these things, you couldn't question this. You couldn't question this testimony, their God is real. But when you see others in different ideology, they don't say their God is real. They say, you know what, at least he believes in what he believes in. But they don't say his God is real. In Christianity, the difference in genuine Christianity is, in your witness, you're witnessing somebody. You are witnessing somebody personally. You are literally, you will not lift your hand against somebody else for your witness. But you are willing to die for him who died for you. So when you come to that first one, I said, I would, I would say that read it, but it's no harm in reading anything. You, you, you learn different ways of evangelizing, witnessing and all. But that's not your basic way. Your basic way is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God. You see, who was it? The great evangelist who said, I, I, I can't remember about him. I may go wrong here and there. He's the one who said, all I ask the Lord is, Lord, set me on fire and the people will come to see. Charles Spurgeon. Wesley, Just... Set a person on fire and they will come to see. The reason people don't believe is they don't see any fire. Okay. As soon as a Samaritan woman had an encounter, she was on fire. She went straight back to the city, the crowds she was, she came in the mid hour, hot afternoon to avoid the people. And she's running straight back to the people she avoided and says, come and see. And he's not, she's not ashamed. That's important thing. Suddenly you are not ashamed of your past. Shame is a huge thing people keep quiet. She said, he told me everything about my past. She's not ashamed. She's not ashamed of her past. She's full of zeal for him. And the Bible says over there, many in the town believed in him because of her. And then they asked him to stay back. And he stayed back there a couple of, no? That is the whole thing. If you said, ask the Spirit of God to set you on fire, you can set you on fire. Nobody can. Question your testimony about Jesus. That's what Nebuchadnezzar stood up and he said, didn't you throw three people into that fire? But I see four people there, like the Son of God. And he said, come out. And when they came out, there was not even the smell of smoke upon them. Okay? It was the king who was restless outside, not Daniel in the lion's den. You see, you cannot deny those testimonies. 
You cannot deny. I could tell you, I mean, you get it through the year, testimony after testimony of believers were arrested and taken before the authorities in China, all these places. Finally, when they look at them, they realized, they realized, this. you can't put this out. Mm. You can't put this out. Okay, And when you don't have, and you've gone into the secular, you're compromised like most of the Western world is, they will say, okay, you want to share, read this book. It will give you two tips how to share about Jesus. When you share about Jesus, that fellow will know you yourself is not convinced. <laughs> he is not convinced. And he will say, why do you have to believe in something which you are not very convinced about? Okay, You don't need to know your theology. You need to know the person. person yes. That is, if you just... Just look at the testimony. Turn with me to again John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And verse 28 and 29 and 30. Can I have this fan off please? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, now look, that's where it starts. She left. What did she come for? She came for water. Desperate, okay? Afternoon, avoiding everybody alone. She left it. She forgot what she, that is called zeal. Suddenly fire has come. Zeal has come. Leaving a water jar, went back to the town and said to the people, what did she say? Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That is witnessing. Witnessing is about a person. Witnessing about a person. Okay? And if you are, if you are not able to witness about a person, and, uh, it's just not a witness. It's not a witness. You know, you should read this book. When I read that book, I was very much convinced. That is the logic. That is not about Christ. It's not about Christ. It's even in the Gospel according to John. When the disciples uh, stay with Jesus for overnight, mm. uh, next day come and stay. The, yes, yes. The next day, John go, chapter one, the verses yeah. right after what we yeah, have so looked they, in the they, they go, they go and say, "We have found the Messiah." About whom the scriptures say, scriptures. "Come and see the person." Yeah. They saw the, the scriptures. They, in Jewish context, they knew the scriptures, scriptures. and they've always been searching for the Messiah. But once they encounter Jesus, the they realize this is the person. The person. Okay, this is the person. But basically, in our context, it is. The people yeah, we are witnessing, uh, they are speaking in a Jewish context. They are waiting for a Messiah. Outside in the world, they are not waiting for a Messiah. But you are able to witness, I encountered him. I met him. Mm-hmm. I met him. Okay? And that becomes your witness. That makes it. Everything becomes your witness. If you look into scripture, everything becomes your witness. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you seven times, how many? Jesus, 70 times. Your attitude of mercy itself becomes a witness. Because there is no mercy in religion. Mm. You have to earn it. Mm. There's no mercy in any religion. You have to earn it. So when they see in your workplace, you are a very merciful person when somebody sins against you. And when you fail, you are a very um, apologetic person. You ask for forgiveness. They will ask, what's the difference about you? And you will say, it is Christ. I received mercy at the cross. And I did not earn it. I received it freely. Therefore, I freely give. Everything, because the very, that's what you're talking about. It is the life of Christ in us. Okay, go to John chapter 1 yeah. and verse 4. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, 
Okay, John 1, 4. Got it? Yeah. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. That is witness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. In the same way, once we believe in Jesus and he comes in and as he grows, as we heard in the morning, allow the cross to work and his life in us is life. And that life is the light of men. And light shines in the darkness. Light shines in the darkness. To those who are perishing, it is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the life of God. To some we are the aroma of life. life. To others, we are the aroma of death. Yes. But either way, we smell. <laughs> exactly. You cannot keep that witness away. Either you have it or you don't have it. Yeah. It's as simple as that. The life of Christ cannot be hidden. It's not possible to hide that light. It's impossible to hide that life. So the question of evangelizing or witness is growing in that life. When the Bible says, when darkness covers the whole earth, his light shall come upon you, Old Testament. New covenant you need to understand is, God will pour out his spirit. And the life of Christ will increase in all those who are hungry and thirsty. And they can look at it and they will realize, this life is not of earth. Mm. This is literally from heaven. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, when he died on the cross, there are these seven statements he makes on the cross and his demeanor, his attitude, his kindness, his mercy, his forgiving attitude. And when he died, witness of a Roman soldier is truly this is a son of God. Because they have many sons, so he said, truly this is a son of God. He looked at him and said, you know what? If there is a God and God's died, this is how God's died. This is how God's, this is how God's died. That is not how Roman gods died. When they died in battle, they died killing everybody. Because Romans have lots of gods and they have died. They have died in battle. But this, he realized, is completely different death. Completely Every god in every pagan religion, they do die. But they die in battle. They die in battle. They are battling and killing and all kind of things are happening battling. But that's not how Jesus died. Jesus died on the cross forgiving his enemies. And the Bible says, he said, truly this was the Son of God. So we need to realize, we need, when they hear you, when they hear you, they will know whether you really believe or not. Some people just stop from the top of their heads. It's not in their heart. It's not in their heart. They have learned, you know, apologetics and they're good in arguments. That's not the question. Others don't know much of the or much of the scripture. But you talk to them, they know they're convinced about this person. Convinced about this person. Okay, the Bible says in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 9. Acts 9, let me give it to you. 9, uh, verse 17 to 20. So uh, Ananias went into the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. 
knows. See, he's not preaching everything mm-hmm. because he doesn't know, but he knows one thing. Jesus is the Son of God. That I know. That's what the blind man was saying. I know one thing. I was blind. Now I see. I want to under. I want you to argue with that. Hmm. What is your argument? Okay. And they cursed him. You are a sinner from birth. You are telling. Okay. That's what happens when they don't have an argument. They will start cursing. That's what happens. Okay. They will start accusing you. They will cursing you. So don't worry. That's how witnessing evangelism does. I'm not discouraging reading books because I myself read all the time. But in a multitude of books also. Ultimately, what are we trying to do with books? And I would say avoid most of modern books because they are very shallow writers. Like in any form of literature, including biblical literature. You look at today's books and today's authors, they're very shallow. Very shallow. On the other hand, you look at the, the the saints who have gone before us. One thing you will realize is new writers, it is techniques. Old writers, it is life. Mm. You read people like Tozer and all, and you know these people have Andrew Murray, Tozer. I'm talking about modern ones. You know this guy. These people have encountered God. God. Yep. There's no question about that. They, mm. they almost scare you. Mm. Almost these people have encountered God, and others you look at and say, "So oh, these have techniques, basically how to dwell in the world. It's all techniques. You don't, you don't feel what you call edified by them. Okay, you don't. That's what I'm talking about. Once I was gifted a book called Need to Know by D. A. Carson. I don't know which Carson. D. A. Carson. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's, from, he's from that, uh, he's from the reform circle. Okay. I read a few pages. I did not understand. Do I need these books, pastor, to speak about Jesus and know about Christ? Yes, books do help. Okay. Really books do help. Sometimes books do help because when you are a new believer, okay, you are a new believer and, uh, you are to drink the milk of the word. Okay. Primarily what happened in the old, if you look in the, how the church began, uh, they gather daily for the apostles' teaching. And they are all young believers. And they are being taught. They are being taught. Okay, they are being taught. In the same way, when churches don't really, really have a teaching ministry, teaching ministry, uh, books do help. Because that's how I grew when I got saved. I didn't get saved in the church. I got saved outside the church. And I would see, say that the first so many years of my life, I grew with the help of books. And books were my teachers. But the books which I got, I look back and I realize that God uh, God was very merciful and kind that I went and picked books in a bookstore. And the books I got were fantastic books. I mean, the, the authors were fantastic. Before the books were good. One was Richard Woman, One was Watchman Nee. And... Uh, Martin, Martin Lord, Lord Jones. Jones, okay, and, uh, but everybody wouldn't be able to understand that, okay, understand it, because I came from a literature background, it was not so difficult for me to crack it, but everybody don't, don't come from that background, so I would say, fundamentally, it is good to go through the basics, so if, and some churches really do that, they take you through the process of schooling you, like, and there are books which will help you, like, uh, um, Derek Prince's book, Derek Prince, Foundations. The Foundation, Derek Prince's book, Foundations is a fantastic book, fantastic book, okay, fantastic book, and uh, you need to, okay, and you have to keep growing, 
as at every level you will realize that at every level even when you are doing a phd in the secular world you have a guide mm. nobody registers on his own for phd you need a guide otherwise you cannot do a phd whether your guide knows something or not is a different question but you cannot do your phd impossible. without it's impossible without a guide he is your guide and you are a researcher he is your guide as a principal so at every stage of your life you will need your primarily the holy spirit and the spirit of god also will lead you to other people other people who will be able to mentor you some of them may be dead and gone okay some of your some of my best friends in life have been people who are dead not that i speak to the dead but i read their books <laughs> okay okay good good friends good companions and you their lives encourage you richard richard now i look at all those years of battling this battle with and for the underground church i realized god had prepared me even before i knew got into ministry for it because one of my foundational books was richard bumbrand and torch for christ and brother andrews uh, god smuggler and i personally became a smuggler in my own time to smuggle stuff into underground churches and i got my courage from reading him that if god could do it for him he could do it for me and he got told me exactly to say what he was called to say mm-hmm. when you were confronted in situations like that so god prepares you okay and if i had to read brother andrew and richard humbrand and watchman if i had taken these three people off in those years of my life after i came to christ i don't think my life would be the same mm-hmm. it wouldn't be the same because post that when i came to a much more freer environment called hyderabad i was assaulted by all these new thinkers and i got fascinated in the flesh by them but somehow i was always uncomfortable you know why because these three voices were there <laughs> if they, what this man says true it should be true for richard wombrin and was not true for him. it should have been true for watchman why was he hung in the prison because if something is true it should be true everywhere everywhere, everywhere. Yes. it can't be true only in one part of the world and not part of the world okay so when i saw them i'm not i'm not telling you so this is this is where god spoke to me <coughs> it's not many of the things yeah uh, verse um, hebrews chapter 13 verse 3 remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you were yourself were suffering okay okay see there are two parts okay it's it's slowly becoming one but always there were two parts of the church the free church and the suffering church they were there but the gospel was the same and what is true is that if you believed in the real gospel you would always see that the people in the free world were chained to those who were not free on the other side yes. and therefore you knew they were authentic mm. they were authentic they understand i am free but i am chained with the one who is not free and the one who was chained was also realize i am and you know what North Korea one of the most now it's uh, number 2 now Iran Afghanistan has become number 1 if i'm right and Korea North Korea was always number 1 for years the most persecuted nation for Christians if you were to meet a North Korean believer it's the second most difficult thing okay it's not easy to find a North Korean believer because they will not identify even to their own families because you don't know where they will ditch you or not informant or not but their ways of meeting and all but if you were to tell 
if you come from a free Western society and tell a North Korean believer, because I've, I've read their testimonies that we are praying for you, they would ask for what? This is what are you praying for, for us? We don't want your liberty. We want liberty, but we don't want your kind of liberty. They say, we pray for you. We pray for you. We always pray for you. Christians in the Western world, we pray for you. Okay, We pray for you, that you don't lose Christ. Because he says here, we have no choice of losing, no chance of losing Christ. Because if we do not have Christ, we will die. We can't lose Christ here. Because we are alive because of Christ. Only Christ can keep us alive <laughs> in this kind of a regime. But we always pray, you don't lose Christ. Because it's very easy mm-hmm. to lose Christ in a free liberal society. So you also have, you have to read. But you also have to be careful about who you read. Who you read. When you're looking at the back of a, a book you read, don't look at all his degrees. It's irrelevant. If you looked at Jesus, he had no degrees. And he said, what good can come out of Nazareth? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Don't look at his degrees. Look what this fire this man has gone through. Look at that. What has this man or woman gone through? You will read Cori ten Boom. You know what she has gone through. This is, this woman has gone through fire. When she talks about Christ, I better sit up and listen. Authentic. authentic. This is, these are people who are authentic. Okay. I'll tell you, there are people who will speak to you much who have just been in the outer courts. You read them, you know it is outer courts. It's all about flesh, the world and all those things. You know people who have been in the holy place. Okay. It's intellectual. C.S. Lewis is highly intellectual, but I look at him and I like him because, because of a literature background. But you also know he's been in the holy place. And there are people who have been in the most holy place. They have been there. They have encountered God and they are hung in there. They have gone through the fire. They have been beaten. They have been marred. Their souls are full of scars. And when they speak, listen. But you have to listen at every level because you don't jump into the most holy place. You go this way. You go this way. Okay, go this way. And so there are many speakers in the Old Testament in Israel. But when Moses speaks, listen. Mm-hmm. Moses speaks, listen. Okay, so you lo- you always look at people. And you know, um, today's people will say, listen to me. Look what I have gained. Don't listen to them. Listen to a person who has lost. Yeah. Who has lost. What did you lose for Christ? What did you lose for Christ? What is the price you paid? What's the price you paid? Because that's a Laodicean church. We have need for it. Look at us. This is our testimony. Then look at Philadelphia. Like I said, there are two. Sometimes we feel, I feel our churches are a combination of three. Smyrna, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. One set of people who are called to be faithful until you die. No escape. You will die. There's another side, you are small, you are hanging there, don't quit, don't keep, I will keep you from trouble. And there's a small third, small, I don't know, there's a third group in the same churches who have no clue what is happening. Anywhere. <laughs> They're not interested in anything. They're just floating around. It's a terrible place to be. Like I said, it is not about what God did. It's what God is doing. Mm, what God is doing. No. 
what God is doing now. We can you we need to be connected to that. So read. Read. But be careful about whom you read, because when you read, words are being spoken into your mind and to your life. And words have power. Words have power. Lord, people have no fire at all, no zeal at all, no interest at all. You know why? Because of words. Words you watched, words you heard, words you read. That's why you have. Because words does make a difference. Let's turn the gospel according to Luke 24 and verse 32. 24, 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened opened scriptures to us? That's a simple question. When you read biographies of certain people, your hearts will burn. Mm -hmm. You know, this is real. This is not man-made. This is not man-made. So your hearts will burn. Okay, and that's what the Bible is talking about. Read them. Yeah. And even when you're hearing to preaching also, this yeah, is you know. But once you have been dulled down, dumbed down by the other kind of preaching, it's very difficult to wake them up. You need to light a fire behind them. Nothing will wake them up. Because one, so the most difficult, uh, um, difficult thing is not uh, speaking to an unbeliever. Not difficult. The most difficult is believing to a Christian whose mind is full of wrong doctrine. Very difficult to talk to them because first you have to take the wrong doctrine out, clean him out, and then put the right in. Samaritan woman accepted just like this. The Gentiles came just like this. How difficult it was to preach to the Jews. Very difficult for Jesus, for Apostle Paul. So today the church has been infiltrated by false doctrines. Absolutely infiltrated, to go to them and preach the cross. It's impossible. Impossible to preach the cross. So, you have to read. It's good to read, but be careful about who you read. Be very, very careful about who you read. So, again, um, this uh, same person is talking about another situation. Uh, I heard from a believer in the church saying, read your Bible, but just don't read it by yourselves, but come to us I was encouraged, but I also was confused. Later on, the web, on the, on the web page of the church, I saw about a Bible study group saying, under the leadership of mature Christians. Now, if we have doubts, we ask elders and clarify. Or we ask fellow believers for help. But God is the one who answers. Pastor, all the believers are Christians, but some know their Bible well, and some uh, don't know much like me. Like Much like me, they are always learning. We all read Bible personally as, as well. Now I'm confused, Pastor, if I know my Bible well, can I myself, uh, can I call myself a mature Christian? Can you please give me a scripture about this? See, um, maturity is a question about who you are comparing yourself with. Hmm. If I were to be with some of these saints, I would consider myself immature. <laughs> Absolutely immature. Okay, so mature means it's a question of perception. It's a question of perception. Okay, so but here, there are so many in his questions is that one, uh, you should uh, read your Bible personally, which is true. That's the first part. Second, you also should be taught. Yes, God has put teachers in the church, in the kingdom. He has appointed teachers like our toddlers go to the toddlers class. 
are they being taught doctrinal? Simple. What are they being taught in the ways in which they can understand with songs and preaching and uh, sometimes maybe skits or painting and everything, but by fundamentally they are being taught about Christ and the kingdom of God. Yes. Then after that you go to the next level. We have three levels in our Sunday school. At each level they are being taught. They are being taught. Once you cross these three, you come to the church. When you come to the church, you are taught. So teaching never ends. It never, never ends. Because we are all learning. We are all learning. Maturity is not the knowledge of scripture. Mm. Maturity is the knowledge of the person. You can know scripture like the Pharisees did and crucify Christ. It is not about knowing scripture. It is knowing the God of scripture. You can know the entire scripture by heart and not know God. And you can know God and not actually know the entire scripture. Okay, so there is this, okay. We look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, 12, 13 and 14. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. So that children are children. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. Next verse. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. These are three kinds of believers. Mm. Three kinds of believers. One is children. What do the children know? The children know him as father. The very sentimental, emotional relationship with their child. They find their security in their father. They find their forgiveness, mercy, all that in their father. And that is genuine. When a little two year when you go home, you have a two year old, three year old child, daddy, papa, my daddy is the greatest. That's also that's a knowledge. Because he has known his father only that much. That's what he's talking about. About the young man, it says that uh, you are strong. Why? You have become even more mature. The word of God lives in you. It's not that the word of God, you know the word of God. Mm. It lives in you. You have practically learned how to live, apply the word of God in your life. Therefore, you are able to overcome the evil one. But about the fathers, if you have noticed, there's only one thing written. You have known him who is from the beginning. We have known him who is from the beginning. We have understood the ways of God who is from the beginning. We have understood. And that's so this is about maturity. But we are all growing or we all have to grow. We are all have to grow. Okay? We all have to grow. Okay. Like let us say you have uh three children or let's say like me, five children, and let us say the youngest one is five years old and the oldest is twenty years old. Or youngest one is four years or five, whatever. And the eldest one is 20, 25 years old. And you are out. And the youngest one does something naughty. And now he's very scared. Oh, daddy will come and beat me up. And the eldest one says, no, he won't. You just go tell him I'm sorry. No, that's not the way daddy is going to beat me up. And the elder one says, no, he will not. Now, both are talking from two different experiences. Mm-hmm. The eldest one says, I am telling you daddy won't beat you up. He won't do anything like that. 
All you need to do is go. So what is he saying? I have known him from the beginning. I know him personally. I know him from the beginning. I have gone through what you are going through, and he didn't react the way you are thinking. Mm. You are you are reacting because of ignorance of the knowledge of the Father, and I am reacting, telling you from the knowledge of the Father. So the fathers are talking here. Says he, he has known him from the beginning. That's what the Bible is talking about. So these things matter. We have to grow, and there are different things in which God has put us by which we grow. By which we grow. One is the word of God. The other is relationships. Isolation does not cause you to grow. Does not cause you to grow. You have to have relationship within the body of Christ. If you do not have serious, vibrant relationship with the body of Christ, you will not really, really grow. When I'm talking about the body of Christ, I'm talking about crisis. Talking about crisis. Because then only you will learn how to handle crisis in your life. Because till the day we die, we are going to face crisis. It is only going to increase. Why is that people do not uh, are not able to handle pressure? It's because they are not dealing with it. We don't dealing with it. Okay, Jesus handled pressure. Okay, you could make it out the first statement that is made when he is in public at the wedding at Cana. The mother came to him and said, "Son." They have run out of wine. What does I tell you? He was handling pressure at home for 30 years. Father is not there in the picture. Everybody believes Joseph is dead. That means Jesus was handling a home of at least six younger siblings and his mother. The burden was on his shoulders. He knew how to handle pressure and he had never let his mother down. So when there is a crisis and we are introduced to him, the mother comes and says, son, there are not a wife. She's not expecting a miracle or anything or something. Has, she has never done a miracle, but he's expecting him to handle it because this is a man who has handled pressure. Because if you haven't handled pressure, people are not going to come to you. Nobody's going to come to you. So you learn to handle pressure. And it's handling pressure that makes you mature. It's mature. Okay, you have to learn to handle pressure. You cannot run away from these things. You run away things. Otherwise, our knowledge of God is very, very superficial. How do you know? How do you know? The testimony of Daniel's friends when they come out of fire is different. Nobody can tell them that if you go into fire, God will leave you there. They will say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? We have handled fire. We have found his faithfulness. We know he will come through for us. Daniel's testimony is that why are people encouraged by the life of Joseph? Why does Joseph encourage us? Why does Jacob encourage us? You look into these people and you see what they have gone through and they realize God came through for them. God came through for them. Okay. When you meet these prosperity preachers who says you don't have to do anything, just name it and claim it and it will come to you, you know this is not real. Even in, the, even in the dumb real world, it doesn't work like that. How can it work in the kingdom? Is the kingdom of God much more tougher than the world standards? Okay, so you need to understand that's what it is talking about. So there are children. Children have to become young men. Young men have to become fathers. But there is a process of maturity. It is not just the word of God. The word of God alone will only make you intellectual. Like an engineer who finished graduation. <laughs> and then he gets a job. And then he realizes he needs to ask the foreman how to turn all the valves. Because he doesn't know. 
because anything that has to do with the engine, he needs the book. And the foreman comes and he never went to engineering college, the foreman. He comes, sir, practice. How did this man know? Practice. How did this man learn? Through the books. Now we need the book. But we need practice. And Christian life is practical living. It's practical living. And if you do not practically live it out, what you learn in church is not practiced at home. It will just remain intellectual. Even today's message, if you had listened, go back and listen. If you do not pick up your cross daily, you will not know the resurrection yes, power of Christ. Yes. You will not know. And the resurrection power is first needed to die, not to live. No man who has lived has experienced the life of Christ. Only people who have died has experienced the life of Christ. And if we are not experiencing the life of Christ, it's because we are living. Cross is an instrument of death. It's not an exercise machine. It's an instrument of death. You die. So modern day we don't understand because we see everyone, even crackpot singers in US are high on drugs, wearing cross and this thing and all. And it looks like a symbol. But in the old days, in the ancient days, they knew what the cross was. The most humiliating, most painful death ever invented by the Romans. Okay, so when Jesus said, Pick up your cross. They knew what it was. You die. Shut him out. They will insult you for my name's sake. They will abuse you. You don't have to defend yourself. Why? Because you are dead. Dead people don't defend themselves. Dead dogs don't bite. And the cross is the, the practical. The cross is the place. So the question is, when do you pick, when did you pick up your cross? The day you got baptized. That's when you died. And when you came out of the water, you came up with the cross. And you carried it daily. You died. It's very easy to see dead men. So you can identify a dead man and a living man. How do you identify the dead man? There is no movement. No reaction. And that's what you see about Jesus. No reaction. He's arrested. No reaction. He's shouting at anybody. Screaming at anybody. No, no reaction. No reaction. He kept quiet. No reaction. No reaction at all. Okay, no reaction. And when he reacts, it is not a reaction, it is an action. Okay. He's not reacting. If he's reacting when they're all, the Bible says they were blaspheming him. Oh, you said you are the son of God. You see, to offend people or to get people against you, all you have to do is touch the religious element. That is what's happening in this country and many countries. If you want to get people together against anything, bring religion in. You bring in religion in, they will forget everything. They will forget poverty, they will forget hunger, they will forget COVID death, they will forget everything, just bring religion in. Three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, healing the sick, delivering the demon process, feeding the poor, and all they kept saying was, this man said he would destroy the temple. That's it. If you look at it, that is, yes. he said he would destroy our temple, <laughs> our temple. They brought religion. And gathered the people against him. And they were blaspheming on the cross. Oh, you said you would destroy the, the son of God. Why don't you come? He didn't react. He didn't react at all. Because dead men don't react. Instead, the life of his father. What is that? Father forgive them. For they don't know what they are doing. That's what the Bible is talking about. We don't react. 
We don't react. Dead men don't react. When you react to something, that means your old man is alive. You discuss an issue. That's a different thing. Reacting to something by saying you are like that, that means the old man never died. It comes alive. The new man does not react that way. He discusses what is the issue. The issue right here is these people are blinded. These people have no clue what they are doing. What is the greatest need of this hour is not me to come down from the cross. The greatest need of the hour is they need forgiveness. And for them to need on the cross in the forgiveness, I should not get off the cross. I should stay right there on the cross if they need to receive forgiveness. That is the need Amen. of the hour. And that's how he reacts. If he comes off the cross, he is fine. They are gone. We are gone. Okay. So he's not reacting. He's acting. For your sake. So. Okay. That is the life of the Father through him. In the same way, us, when we die, the life of Christ comes out. The life of Christ comes out. That's what the Bible is talking about. So, read, but be careful who you read, because words have power. Mm. Also, there's who you listen to also. There's some more practical questions. So we, we need to yeah. answer the ones. Yeah. Question number 14. You sent the latest? No, latest, latest, latest one I have it with me. Okay, yeah. So question number 14 uh, is uh, uh latest one. Would you say your battle partner should be your wife? Or a brother, if you're a man. When you are on the battlefield, or when you're on the battlefield, your wife being a weaker vessel, can, can she battle in prayer alongside of you? Um, battle partner depends, like, like you said, depends upon, uh, would you say your battle partner should be your wife? Superficial, technically, you could, could say yes. Because, simply because, uh, if, but, with a condition. The condition is this. If she's a mature believer. Mm, exactly. If she's a mature believer. See, it, it comes from one thing. The, the reason why we, yeah, there's too much movement at the back of the camera, okay, because it distracts us, okay, let's church, okay, because you are, you, you're moving back and forth, no? The simple reason is that, you know, prayer is a battle. Mm. Prayer is a battle. One of the most powerful conditions of prayer is this. If two of you agree on anything on earth, it's the power of agreement. If two of you agree on anything on earth, it shall be done in heaven. Okay? Solomon would put, say, two is better than one. Yes. Okay? Now the question is, which two are better than one? It is not every husband and wife. Because some husband and wife should never pray together. Nothing will happen. <laughs> Because before and after prayer, they will, and through prayer also they will fight. In prayer, they will be preaching. <laughs> In prayer also they will be preaching to each other. Okay? So we are not talking about that. We are not talking about that. We are talking about a husband and a wife who are able to agree. The key is agree. Okay. Now you may bring the issue of maturity. But sometimes you don't even need maturity to agree. Let us say, me and my wife. My wife, of course, is spiritually a mature person. But let us say, she's not a mature person. She's a simple, let us say, simple, let us say in our Indian terms, let us say, my wife is a simple village kid who just simplicity believes in Jesus. Okay? And we struggle for resources. And she believes God will provide. I believe God will provide. And we are both able to agree on that. Our God will provide. And there is power. Release into that situation. 
because it doesn't come from our knowledge of all scripture. No, it doesn't. Do you believe or not is the question what God has spoken. Okay? So in those areas you can agree. Like I said, I can pray with a Baptist. On what? On all the things the Baptists agree with me. Exactly. The Baptist doesn't agree with the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's fine with me. I'm not going to pray for him for that. But there are so many things I agree with him and he agrees with me. So we can still pray together. Exactly. Pray together. Yeah. So we have to always, when you're praying and looking at prayer partners, you have to come to what we call shared beliefs. We have shared beliefs. A Methodist and a Pentecostal can pray on all areas where they don't agree. I'm talking about the saved Methodist and the saved Pentecostal. But there are saved, unsaved Pentecostals also. <laughs> There are, okay, uh, speaks in tongues and not is, uh, and not saved. Okay, you may find it a misnomer, okay. Of course, there are tongues from the other side too. Of course, there are false tongues. So you can, the devil can keep you with false tongues all your life and you don't even realize you are saved. Not saved. Not saved. Okay, so we are talking about that. But, uh, or a brother, if you are a man, yes. That's why God sent them out two by two. God sends them by two by two. He doesn't send them one by one. He sends them by two by two. What? Is, why did Barnabas and Paul also separate? Because the the conflict between them became so intense. After that, it is difficult to do ministry together. Okay, if you cannot resolve issues, you should separate. I'm not talking about marriages, okay? Don't misunderstand me. But sometimes you're sitting in a church and you're so hostile now to the pulpit and the leadership. Just quietly go. Because you're wasting your time there. You're wasting your time there. Because you're not going to receive anything. Every time they pray, you're not, even if you say Amen with your lips, there's no Amen coming from your heart because you're not able to agree at all. The best thing is to quietly go find another church where you don't take these things over there. And maybe you'll be able to agree there and move along with God. If you can live with peace, it's fine. Okay? It's fine. So you need to understand when he's talking about if your wife is a weaker vessel, one of the things I would always, always advise men is this. If your wife is a weaker vessel, be careful what burden you put on her. Let us say, this is a steel glass. We will pile any amount of weight on it. No, we know steel can handle it. But if it is a glass like this, we know after a certain point, it will crack. So you should, when the Bible says, knowing that she is a weaker, weaker vessel, live with her in understanding. It also means be careful about how much burden you put on them. There are some wives who want to know everything, but a wise husband doesn't tell everything. He knows his wife and says, you know what, if I tell you, I tell you, I know it's not going to help you. He's not deliberately keeping things from her. He's protecting her. So you need to realize when you keep certain things from your wife, are you keeping it away from her or are you protecting her? Because you know what? I know I know what happened last time I told her something like this. She was so depressed. She was so agitated. For three days she didn't eat. She was so miserable. You know what? I don't want her to go through it. She's now no longer a helpmate. She's become a burden because I shared something with her. Mm. So you know what? Sometimes you don't. You're a wise husband. You're a wise husband. Okay, wise husband. Okay. Sometimes it is the other way around. The husband is weak. The husband is weak. 
And the wife is not able to share. She's the praying one, and she's the wise one, and she handles the burden. Look at the classic case no. in of Nabal and Abigail. Abigail is wise, and she's strong. Nabal is a fool. And when the answer comes from David, Abigail doesn't say anything to him. Because he's drunk. He knows he's drunk, he's weak. He will do something crazy when he's drunk. But when he's in the morning, when he's sober, she speaks to him. And you know what? He has a heart attack and he dies. Because he can't handle the tension. Okay. So you need to live with under. Don't assume every man is strong. And don't assume your wife is strong. Be strong. Try to get stronger and stronger. But even when you pray together with your wife, unless you know she can handle that, you don't have to tell her everything. Because a woman is always thinking about security of her home. And when she hears a news that brings insecurity yep. to her home and to her children, she will start panicking. Every woman cannot handle it. Every woman is not a Deborah. They are not strong. So, when you are looking at a prayer partner, you may in life have different prayer partners. You may have a prayer partner for these kind of issues. You may have a prayer partner for these kind of issues who can handle this pressure. In some cases, you may have nobody with whom you can really pray the core issues like Jesus did. He prayed himself alone. Even on his final day when his soul was vexed even unto death when he asked them to pray with him for an hour, they fell asleep. And I know many people who just go through life on their own prayer life because they have nobody with whom they can really, really pray because there's nobody with whom they can handle their burdens because they cannot handle it. They will run from them. Mm -hmm. They will buckle under that pressure. And if Jesus were to really, really, every time he talked about the cross, the reception was hostile. No. So he can't even say, I'm going to the cross. Would you uphold me in prayer? They don't want to hear the cross. So how do you pray? Right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. So how do you pray? Okay, so we need to realize as we go through life and as we go through challenges, our prayer partners may change, depending upon who can really agree with us and uphold us. Okay, so that's what the Bible is talking about. Can she battle in prayer alongside you? Depends. Depends. Okay, like it's like an army. Uh, let's talk about the Indian army. There are so many corps, right? And uh, they are not the same. They are all in the battle. Army ordinance corps. They don't go to the battlefield and fight. Mm-hmm. Okay, Army medical corps. They don't go out and fight. But they are all part of the army. They are all part of the same battle. But what they do is different things. One of the most intense part of the battle in spiritual warfare is prayer. Is prayer. But the one who is ushering the one who is in the refreshment table, all are part of the battle. It's part of the table. I'm telling you, let us say our Jyoti and Deepika at the refreshment table. And there is a new believer who came to church. He liked the worship. He liked the sermon. And then while, let us say, Jyoti or Deepika is serving, they were nasty to them. They will not come back again. Because they didn't realize that was the final stage of the battle and they lost, the church lost in the final. So those who are ushering, those who are in deity, that's why to wait at the table, they found seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom so that they don't lose at that table. Many people, hmm. many people lose at that table. They lose the people. Very nasty, tempered people stand at the table and say, keep on moving, keep on moving. Why are you coming for the second helping and all? They look at, oh, 
are they really Christians? And they walk away. They walk away. They walk away. So we need to realize in this battle, at every stage, it is a battle. The worship team, it's a battlefield. Prayer team, it's a battle. With the pulpit, it's a battlefield. Ushering is a battlefield. Refreshments is a battlefield. Entire fellowship is a battlefield. The fellowship is one of the most dangerous battlefield mm. because fellowship actually often becomes gossip. Gossip. And gossip is a danger. Everything that happened at the, inside the church, the worship, the, everything goes during fellowship. While this all should have been strengthened in the fellowship time, it actually is destroyed during fellowship mm. time because there are no fellowship in the ship. <laughs> there are only gossips. Fellowship means all the fellows are in one ship. Yeah. We are traveling in the same direction. We are edifying each other. We are helping each other, not tearing each other apart. So this is all part of the battle. So prayer, you need to be very, very careful. Also about how you pray, who you pray with, because you need unity. So God took 10 days to get the church ready. In 10 days, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says by 10 days. 10 days. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one, one place. place. All together in one place. One accord they had become. Okay. And that's what happens. See, this is basically what happens. One of the major problems in 21st century marriages, I'm seeing where the problem comes in, is because the women got very highly educated. Education in itself is not a bad thing. But if you do not have meekness of heart, education becomes a block to receiving the word of God. So the husband is supposed to be the savior of his wife, typically, because he washes her through the word. But when she is very smart, she's not going to listen to his word. She's arguing with him. So she's not able to receive the word from him. See, when it, when there is this receiving of the word, what is happening is they are both growing. growing together. Yeah. One accord is happening. They are learning to agree, learning to agree, learning to agree. Okay. Even if you are not able to agree on most things in the world, it's irrelevant. You should be able to agree around the word. That is how, because prayer life is centered around the word. Okay, that's why the Bible, the Jim Paul says, I do not allow a woman to speak. If you have any questions, go ask your husband at home. Don't ask in the church. Because churches were open, people like it. So it was often it was like a QA session. The elders stand up and speak and people will ask, but what does this? Because nobody has a Bible to go back home and read. So you have to ask there because by the time you come go back home, you'll forget the text. You don't know where to ask, what to ask, but there is no Nothing to go back and refresh. So they will ask, uh, Sir, uh, yeah, you preached on this. You just said this. What does it mean? Okay, And he will say, Okay, this is what it means. Okay. On the other hand, he says, The woman don't speak. You have a doubt. Go ask your husband. Go ask your husband. But if that is the format, the woman asks the husband, the husband explains, and the husband also is now on his toes. She asks me good questions. I better know my word very well. I can't tell her and escape by saying, sorry, I don't know, go ask pastor or find out yourself. You can't escape. It's your responsibility. So he's searching. She's learning. He's searching. She's learning. You know what? They're becoming one accord. One accord. And in the process, in the growing together, when they are agreeing and praying, things happen. Amen. On the other hand, man is on tangent. 
Woman is in tangent. They are praying about the same subject, but they are thinking two different solutions. And when they say Amen, they don't, each doesn't know what it means, so let it be. She's thinking one thing, he's thinking another thing, because there is no one accord. This is what modern education has done. Modern education has done. So we have to think these things out, because you know what? The home is a small church. It's a small church. Okay, which should be centered around the same word. Same word. Okay, and that's why the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. You should be yoked, but you should be kind of equally yoked. Okay, if you are a Baptist married to a Pentecostal, I mean, both are believers. It's not a very equal yoking. The husband reads Watchman Nee, wife reads Joyce Meyer. It will be a very unequal yoking. Because he will be thinking about one day I'll be hanged in prison. She'll be thinking about having small, short, bobbed hair and standing on the stage and preaching to all these women. They are thinking two different things. Short, bobbed hair. <laughs> this man is saying a woman, the glory of a woman is long hair and she should cover. She's thinking completely opposite because he's so orthodox in his doctrine and she's so liberal in her doctrine. Both are saved. Both are saved. It's not equal. A lot of problems happen is because, you know what, we are still marrying like Jacob married Rachel. Not like Isaac married Rebecca. Hmm. We married like Jacob married Rachel. And that is very nice. You labor seven years and fourteen years for her later. When things what Rachel wants does not happen, Rachel says, give it to me or I will die. Huh? Where did this doctrine come from? <laughs> Practical situations. Or it is the other way around. Okay. It is Jacob who is the fool. And Rachel is growing. So you have all these images going off. Tangent, okay. but Because all these problems. See, church will be a very simple, easy, joyful place where if you handle your problems at home. Not 90, 99 to 100% of the problems of the church is outsourced from the home. Our lives will be so easy if you handle your problems according to the word in your prayer closet. Homes will be sa, and all happy people will come to church tomorrow because they are very happy at home. They spend time with God. They spend time one another. They edify God. They rejoice in the Lord. Imagine 50 families like that coming to church tomorrow. Worship team will just flow. It will just flow. The joy of the Lord there. Everybody has brought the oil of gladness. They've come with the presence of the Lord. On the other hand, by the time the worship is tuning in, service is over. And nobody is even moved because they're still struggling with the battles at home in the church. You win at home, you win everywhere. You win everywhere, you lose at home. You're still a loser. Telling you the truth. <clears throat> you win everywhere. You lose at home. They could not defeat David in any battlefield, but he lost at home. No Goliath, no giant, no army could overcome David in the battlefield, but he lost at home. No nation could overpower Solomon in the battlefield, 
or in the wisdom field or the intellectual field, but he lost at home. Samuel could stand before man and say, this is my testimony, unquestioned. This man from childhood has walked with God, but he failed at home. Failed at home. His children were reprobates. Think. This is how you need to think. Okay, you need to think. So you should be successful. You should be successful outside. And you should also be successful at home. Home is a battlefield, sir. Pray. Find people with whom you can genuinely, genuinely share the burden and with the same burden pray. One another thing I'll tell you about is that there's no point in sharing a burden with somebody who will not pray. It's just information. Yes, yes, yes. Just information. A lot of people, it's just passing information. It discourages us, depresses them, and you know it is not edifying them. See, there is an edification when you hear some news and it causes you to go to the prayer closet, tackle it before God, and come out with peace. It has edified you. Yes. Because you know God is real. He will handle it. But if it is not, it's not helping anybody. So you need, you need. And it is an important thing. Don't, don't ever Take this lightly. Entire battle, Israel's first battle in the wilderness, Joshua and the army fighting. It's, a, it's not even an army. It's a motley group of slaves who've been freed out of Egypt. I don't know how many of them really knew how to throw a spear and uh, wield a sword. But the entire victory is dependent upon the hands of one man. If Moses stops interceding, Joshua will lose. And Moses' arms are getting tired. And he needs two prayer partners. Aaron and her come and they lift up. Doesn't say Zipporah came. In that context, it's not Zipporah. Or whoever he married subsequently. It's not the woman. It's two men stand up. So there is a band of men who are prayer warriors. Or prayer warriors. So it can be different contexts. Don't ever take this lightly. If a man and a woman can come and pray together every day of their life. They can face almost every battle. They can face. But when the home is divided, battle is already lost. So share with understanding, knowing your wife, what you can share and what you cannot share. That's what the Bible says. She's a weaker vessel, yes. But live with her with understanding and also share and pray with her. with her. But don't take it it's a general principle. All wives are not weaker vessels. Some wives are stronger than men. Strong. We are not talking about physical strength. Physical strength means nothing in the prayer closet. We are talking about spiritual strength. Some women are very, very strong. They can handle pressure. They can handle pressure. Okay, they can handle pressure. Some cannot handle pressure. Deborah can handle pressure. You know why she can handle pressure? Because she was a judge. She has been dealing with the problems of Israel for years. They came, maybe it started with starting with somebody came and came to her, Amma, what do I do? And she came and there it wow. Then others started coming. Before you knew she's judging. Doesn't mean she's ruling. Mm. She's judging. Okay. Because she has handled so many people's problems, she's tough. So when there is a crisis in Israel and there are 40,000 men without spears, I, Deborah, the mother, arose. That's why the Bible says, I devoured a mother arose because she's been a mother who has handled pressure. Mothers handle pressure. It doesn't say, I devoured the woman arose, the mother arose. Because she has handled pressure. So don't ever, 
husband is there, not there in the picture at all. The only thing he probably does wisely is release her and says, you go fight this battle. I know your strength. You can do it. The same way, the battle that day, the glory belongs to we women. Another one is jail. It is not a husband who takes a hammer and stings in it. It is a woman. She's a tough lady. Some tough lady she's. At that hour, God needed her. And she's the one God uses. So these are all pictures of spiritual warfare. Warfare. So don't underestimate the power of a praying woman. They can move mountains like we saw today in the pastor's conference. Apostles all left. But Mary. But even everybody left. But Mary. Now think for a minute. We read it so casually, right? John chapter 20 verse 11. John chapter 20 verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb. Now read verse 1. Verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went where? Let me ask you, how many men can you get in my church who will go to the cemetery early morning when it is dark alone? She's some tough lady. And when all the men have left still standing there in the cemetery, outside an open tomb, where there was a dead body recently, and you saw the dead body being put there, and the dead body has left, and she doesn't understand resurrection. All you understand is ghosts. How many will go? Don't underestimate her. She stood there. She refused. That's why the Bible says in the Song of Songs, love is as strong Strong as death. death. Strongly refuses to live. She's asking only one thing. Where is his body? Where is, she's not asking, is he risen? She says, where is his body? Where is his body? This is the man who delivered me. I was a demon possessed woman. I know what my life was before he, I met him. He set me free. Now he's dead and his body is missing. I'm not going from here until I trace his body. Trace his body. Okay, so don't underestimate women. They are tough. They can fight battles. A mother will fight to death for her children. And a man may run away. She will fight. She will fight. I have a very interesting, okay, word. A mother, okay, the pretty one. I just took the picture of it, okay. This is a man's thing. What my mother taught me. My mother taught me religion. When I spilled grape juice on the carpet, she instructed, you better pray, the stain will come out of the carpet. My first introduction to religion, he says, was from my father. I dropped grape juice and she said, you better start praying. And when I clean, that stain will come off. My mother taught me logic for her decisive words because I said so. That is why. My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear, you wear clean underwear in case you are in an accident. My mother taught, taught me irony. Keep laughing and I will give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about stamina. You, you will, you will sit there until all that spinach is finished. Stamina. <laughs> My mother taught me about weather. It looks as if a tornado has swept through your room. 
My mother taught me about the circle of life. If I brought you into this world, I can take you out too. <laughs> Don't underestimate mothers. Especially, I'm telling you, wisely, wisely I'm telling you. When you pray about family issues, let them pray. You say, Amen. They can pray with passion. Okay? Passion about the home. About the home. Okay? About the home. You have trouble in your workplace and you are praying, Lord, help me and all. You explain your trouble to your wife. This is what I'm facing in my workplace and this is where how I'm being harassed. And then tell her to pray. You will see the warrior coming out. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Super. Okay, the warrior coming out. Because that's how they have been framed. Yes. How they have been. Because she is your helpmate. helpmate. She is your helpmate. Okay, that's how it is. Okay, but let her grow. She's a new believer, a young believer in the faith. Let her grow. Let her grow and grow. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, this is one more question which is important. Yeah, we had this question. Yeah, this is yeah. question number 15. Uh, updated, please. Be a cheerful giver. How would you define this? Giving with a smile? Giving your last penny? Giving where it hurts to give? Please explain. Or all the three. Yeah. Uh, or all four. Okay. Primarily it is this. Uh, go to, go to Hebrews 10 and verse 7. Hebrews 10 and verse 7. Let me find another scripture. Got it? Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Okay? So primarily, everything is connected with the will of God. Mm. Not the will of man. The will of God. Then, go to Psalm 40 and verses 6 to 8. This is from where Jesus, it's prophetic scripture about Jesus. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offering and sin offerings you did not require. Go, go to, go to verse 6. I don't want you to miss that, okay? My ears you have pierced. 6. Okay. Basically he's saying that I am a willing bond slave to your will. Mm. When you pierce your ears, and that's what he's talking about. Christ says, I have come absolutely willingly as a bond slave to the will of my father. And verse 7 and 8. Then I said, here I am. I have come. Uh, which version is this? This is NIV, I think. This is NIV. I don't want NIV. I want NKJV. NIV, okay. Yes. Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. This is the key. When the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, it's a kingdom principle. The kingdom principle is that the kingdom of God is this and the kingdom of God is within us. When Christ lives in us, it's the kingdom that is living within us. The fundamental premise of the kingdom is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. We always have peace about our past. and We have peace about our present. We have peace about our future because we know God is in control. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior. So we know about the future and we are secure. It doesn't matter. Even if I die, I know where I am going. I'm safe. But in your personal day-to-day walk, you are 
what you you are you are controlled by joy it's a joy inexpressible primarily you don't know why you are happy all the time you know you are happy because that is the nature of the kingdom it is joy so when you have to do anything it doesn't matter how mundane how simple a stuff is or how big a task it is you do it in joy mm. that's what it means you are a cheerful giver you are a cheerful giver okay in the world that's not the way people are cheerful givers only one in the things they like mm. and two in the things they benefit three things which involves least sweat exertion labor in the kingdom that's not how it works it does not benefit you at all let us imagine a thing it does not benefit you at all it demands it demands a mound and more enormous amounts of energy or capital what or when you do it you do it with great joy because that's the nature of the kingdom if you know the context in which this is speaking it comes from corinthians um paul is talking about uh 2 yeah he talks about it to the church in macedonia 8 second corinthians look at this i look at 8 moreover brethren we make known to you the grace of god bestowed on the churches of macedonia that in great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberalism very loaded sentence mm. loaded loaded sentence okay this is a church a poor church going through severe persecution but when they heard where in jerusalem if i'm right in jerusalem yeah, there is a need okay like, there is a need okay there is a need. and they were extremely this you know what no jerusalem no salvation no church in jerusalem no salvation it is because of jerusalem church and the apostles who came we are saved and we hear in that church our mother church there is a problem and even out of their trial and poverty with great joy they send an offering that is the context in which he is talking about it is not how much they gave it is how they gave how they gave in this context of course it is talking about money but it's not talking about money at all it doesn't have to be about money at all it's about whatever you give whatever you do you are able to do it cheerfully and that's what jesus is that's what i said when he went into gethsemane we 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 saw in john 18 and verse 4 we saw in john 18 and verse 4 right jesus therefore knowing all things that would come upon him went forward and said to them whom he knew everything why it is there in scripture he knew it all how he is going to die everything he knew but the bible says he went to get some singing you know he is not offering himself on the cross with a long face no joyfully i delight to do your will o god i believe his only struggle in the garden of gethsemane was not about the pain or the shame it was of being separated from his father because of sin being put on him a holy god who never knows sin has never known sin has to become sin partake of all our sins you look on the cross the sin was put on him He's everything the world calls him. He's a pedophile. He's a mass murderer. He's a criminal. He's an adulterer. He's a rapist. You name a liar, extortioner. He's everything. It's put on him. 
And he looks at it and he's not even worried about that. He's worried about that. He says, you know what? When this comes upon me, the link between me and my father from everlasting to everlasting that has never been broken will break. And he can't handle it. And he says, Father, would you take this cup away from me? And the father says, no. He says, but your will, not my will. And the father actually turns his face and pours his wrath upon his son. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? He doesn't even say, Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me tell you this truth. Nobody has ever experienced being forsaken by God as Christ has experienced forsaken by God. Because David says, even if I were to go to hell, I cannot flee from your presence. There was a moment in time where the Son of God experienced no presence of God at all for our sake. So he knew it all. But how did he go? How did he go? He went cheerfully. So from the smallest thing, like I said about Polycarp and also walking into the flames singing, it is joy. Yes, we hear all the but deep inside. That's what the Bible says. He was anointed with the oil of gladness. And joy is spiritual. Happiness is not. Happiness is always connected to with happenings. And happiness and joy can coexist. You hear something terrible. You hear two times. Primarily it happened very powerfully to me. Two times. One is when my father died. When my father, I looked at him and I was dying. I knew he was dying. I was running down the corridor to call the nurse. And the joy of the Lord hit me. You wouldn't believe me. I couldn't stop smiling that whole day. Joy was welling. Before me, in my heart. It was very weird. And it was not happiness. Because I was broken on one side. I knew my father was gone. On the other side, I could not handle that joy too. Second time it happened was that when I was at outside. This was in the year 1996. On May 30th, outside Osmania University, SBI, SBH. I had broken my FD because my son was in the ICU. Little baby, 45 days old. And I took the, because I needed the money. I broke it. I had the money. I came out and I, uh, brother comes over there and says, brother James, your son is dead. And I knew I was driving down, rushing back. And tears were welling on one side, but song was coming from inside. And that's what I'm talking about. So when we talk these things, it is experiential. On one side, there is no happiness at all. You know your father is dead. You know your son is dead. On the other side, the kingdom is real. Absolutely real. And that day evening, the pastor asked me, today is Thursday. On Sunday, you are supposed to lead worship. Will you? I said, I will. I will lead worship. And I led worship. I led worship. So these are real things. So we need to understand, when the Bible talks about this thing, it is not about money. It is about whatever you do. Do it as unto the Lord. And whether you are washing dishes, whether you are sweeping, whether you are mopping, whether you are dusting, whether you are preaching, whatever you do, you know who you are doing it for. You know you are doing it for him. And you know one thing. One, he's always good. Two, he's always sovereign. And in his sovereignty, whatever happening to you will always work out for good. That's why the Bible says, all things work together for the good of those who love God, the call according to his purpose. I was, even last night, I asked my wife, even last night, or even last night, I asked more, I told my wife, you know what? 
that kid, Stephen, would have been 26 years old on April 15th. Next week, April 15th, he will be 26 years old. And I ask him, if he, that kid of mine, would have followed me all the way, unlike the other children. And you know, you can ask her, go back and ask her. You know what I said? I said, you know what, we have six children. And that is one kid who follows all his father's sermons from above and never disagrees. I don't see him as a baby. I see him as a 26-year-old young man. Next week he'll be 26 years old. Because kingdom is real. You don't say, oh, my baby, when I go, no. So my baby, he'll be a 26-year-old man. And he's following me. He's following me. And there is no dissension in his heart because there is no world in his heart. So you know what? I tell her, you know what, honey? That's one kid. One kid of ours who walks with me in my faith life. And probably he prays with her when she prays. No disagreement there. The other five struggle because they are in this world. So you have to see everything in the light of the kingdom because the kingdom is real. And therefore you rejoice. You rejoice. That's what David did. Sunday, he got up, he went back and he worshipped God. Worshipped God because he's always worthy of worship. So when you're talking about giving, it's not about giving. The Bible says God loves us. It's, if you look at that, it is there. Right? It is in yes, the same yes, context. Same, same. Eight. Second Corinthians chapter eight. It is in that context he says, you know? Nine, seven. Nine, seven. Okay, sorry. Nine, seven. Yeah. Got it? Yeah. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. One you should give. Two you should give cheerfully. Cheerfully give. No. That's why I said you need to have encounters with God. The reality of the scripture becomes real. And you realize, you know what? I can walk with him. Anywhere. I can. He will bring me through it all. You know what? It makes you stronger in your faith. Stronger in your faith. So when God is able to put burdens on your shoulder, you are able to comfort. How are you able to comfort? Because Corinthians says the comfort you yourself received when you were going through. Mm. Otherwise you're speaking from your head. You go to a house where death has taken place. What do you have to say? Well, it is written. No. Honey, I know I went through that. I know what it is to go through death. I know what it is. Joy of salvation. Because with my father, the joy was the Lord. He made it. Just two days before he got saved. He died. He got saved. Thank you, Lord. He got, he just made it. Like we say in English with the skin of your teeth. Yes, made it. Lord. Okay. At the end of the day, your prayer, prayer life comes lower and lower. First, Lord, I want him to be an overcomer. Many crowns finally. Say, Would you just put him through? <laughs> just pass, Lord. Just pass. Okay. Just pass. Okay. So that's how it works. That's how it works. So whatever it is, whatever it is, if you're a man, whatever you do, if you're a woman, whatever you do, if you're a child, whatever you do. And that's why certain children, you know, like, 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 till this morning, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Till this morning or yesterday, you can look at my wife's SMS. Yeah. Look at this. She is happy. Because we discovered one more picture of our little baby, Matulika. And we haven't seen or heard of Matulika for years together. 
But what was one thing about Madhulika? She was a happy, happy, happy baby. There was nothing she did as a three or four year old thing at home which she did not do happily. Okay? So, it brings the parents, we in our case, practically like adoptive parents, that child brought a lot of joy. Even memories of her bring a lot of joy. So if you are a cheerful giver, who is happy? God is happy. God is happy. So you say God loves. God loves. So, no. Literally, I mean, we use those statements. You can, you can put, you can put a smile on God's face by the way you do things. The way you do things. Nobody has to see. You are living your life before an audience of one. One. Okay? God. You can. The way you do things. You have to learn to do these things one on one with God. Nobody has to see. God is seeing and I'm going to do it. I'm sure Joseph, in the Egyptian palace, as a slave, when he's working, he's He's got a tune on his lips. Some Hebrew song he learned. He's singing, he's doing, and they're looking at this Hebrew slave. He's singing all the time. Then he's thrown into prison. There also he has a song. Okay, that's what. Songs are a reflection of joy. Don't let the enemy Situation steal your song. Automatically it should come out of your lips because your heart is full of joy. Mm. Because we have seen the end from the beginning. You look at the end. There are no defeated people in heaven. All are happy. All are rejoicing. There is an end to sin, sorrow, grief, pain. So when I get news about people who die, in the attacks in churches. My prayer is not for the surviving. Comfort those who are surviving. Not those who died. They're happy. They're fine. They're good. They're absolutely good. They're away from this. They're good. But those who are living, comfort them. Let them experience the power of your Holy Spirit. That the kingdom of God is real. It's real. And it is righteousness. It is peace. And it is joy. And peace and joy are real. Everything can be wrong in your life. And yet you can have peace. Nothing going right. That's why I said, read the book of Philippians over and over again. Over and over again. Mark it. Man in prison. Man in chains. Man in lack. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Mm. The peace of God. Guard your mind and heart in Christ Jesus. Joy, peace. That is the kingdom of God. That man was not a theologian. Mm-hmm. He was a practical Christian. <laughs> absolutely practical Christian. Amen? Shall I stop there? Yes, God. Yes. I mean, when you say the, what, what, what Jesus experienced on the cross, the immense mm-hmm. sin of the world, there's a description in Psalm 22, it says, Dogs have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan. Bashan. I mean, we cannot even imagine cannot. what he was, what I've experienced in the same In his soul. In his soul. Not his body. We, oh, are, we, because we are so fleshly creatures, we look at his craw- the body, the nail. Of course, that is terrible pain. But we don't, that, we, we don't, we do not even know what was that affliction on his soul. 
and the sin of all mankind, mankind is put upon oh, it. And the wrath of God oh, over sin is born upon it. The agony. The agony of it. And we look at it and we realize, you know what? <laughs> I am free from this because of him. That's why we sing. That's why we can sing. Because he took it. We will only understand in eternity the the depth of the cross. We will not understand till now. It's only when we reach the other side and see heaven and we see hell, we will realize, is this what I am saved from? Exactly. And saved unto all because of the cross. And that's why Paul says, we are not ashamed of the gospel. And we preach Christ crucified. Preach crucified. Because that Christ is both the power and the wisdom, wisdom of, God. of God. Amen? Amen. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Father, we just want to thank you. Father, for this time that you have given to us, you have edified our souls and you have strengthened our spirits <clears throat> this evening. Father, even as we have seen, O Lord, and we have understood, at least in a, in a measure of the depth of cross, what your son had to go through so that we could be called the sons and daughters of the living God. Even the depth of that statement. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of the living God. Father, we will not be able to understand, even in the ages to come, Lord, we'll still be discovering the depth of what you had to go through, so that, Lord, you could reconcile us back to yourself. And therefore, this evening, O oh Lord, we just want to bless your holy name. We want to bless your holy name. Truly, Lord, we want to be givers. Lord, make us, O Lord, into givers. You can do that alone. Do your work in our hearts, in our lives, so that we can be cheerful givers to the audience of one, O Lord. Thank you, Father, for all the questions that your children have sent from all around the world. I pray, Father, that, Lord, that you would have edified each and every one of us and made the answers relevant to everyone whatever situation that we are going through. Thank you, Father, once again for this time. Continue to, Lord Jesus, speak to us. Continue to teach us. Show us your ways. Teach us your paths. And lead us into the way of everlasting life. To that end, I pray that you would bless, O Lord, even this time of meditation and answers and questions. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.